0: Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. We wanted to remind you to check out the Ringer's YouTube page. We're publishing new original videos all the time, including a
1: new This Is Us parody called This Is Bus, featuring some of your favorite Ringer employees like Bill Simmons, Jason Concepcion, and Chris Ryan. And on Friday, we published a video breaking down the staff's favorite moments of 2018 in sports and pop culture, ranging from A Star is Born to the Philadelphia Flyers mascot, Gritty. These videos and more can be found at youtube.com slash Ringer. Mother was a queen,
0: but life has a way of bringing people together.
1: He could unite our worlds one day. Check it out, Arthur is talking to the fish.
0: I'm Sean Fantasy, editor-in-chief of The Ringer, and this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about aquatic superheroes. I'm joined by David Shoemaker, a man of many hats, a masked man of many hats here at The Ringer. You may know him from the Press Box, The Masked Man Show. He's our art director, he's a writer, and an editor. Shoemaker, what's up? Nothing, man. Just excited to talk about Aquaman. We are here to talk about Aquaman, which is, of course, the latest DC extended universe expanded universe film and um david it's a bit of a three-eyed fish so <laughs> i'm looking forward to breaking down what happened with this movie but i think we should start very much at the top because since i've been telling people that i saw it the first question they've asked and perhaps understandably is is this any good
1: and i don't know that I, we've necessarily answered that did you think that this was a good movie i thought I, I yeah i think it was good i think it was good i think that i think that it's um Re, it's not. It's not a great film. Um, definitely not. But the more that I lived with it over the past couple of days, the more I found myself just like not extolling its virtues, but like I could make a list of things that I really liked about the movie. And so, like, I'm inclined to say, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. It was good. Yeah. I and mean, there's definitely some things that I loved. I mean, I loved loved about the movie. So yeah, it was a good movie. Okay. Let's
0: let's. We should probably start with the things that we loved. Um, it's a very complicated movie to me because. It is one trying to shed some of the negative perspective that the world has had on the DC movies, which have been, you know, moderately successful, though not clearly not as successful as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it is both connected to this expanded universe, but also really trying hard to be separate. Thought it was notable Mm -hmm. how not connected to Justice League it was. Um, Yeah. And it's really, it is trying to be five movies at once. Here's a list of the movies that I listed it's trying to be. Ready? Mm hmm. So it's trying to be a comic book mythology machine. It's trying to be an Arnold Schwarzenegger action, action movie. It's trying to be a science fiction opera. It's trying to be twenty thousand league style under the sea adventure. It's trying to be romancing the stone, and it's trying to be ordinary people.
1: That's a lot. That's a, quite a stew. Well, I'm glad you got into specific movies. I thought I thought that's where you were going, but my list is Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jurassic Park, Romancing the Stone, the Born Ident- uh, Born Ultimatum. I think is the right mm. cue for that. Uh, Avatar for sure. Yes, yes. There was definitely some Game of Thrones, and not not just because Cal Drogo's in it. Um, I couldn't place it was under the Tuscan sun or what, like Italian rom com <laughs> it, it was supposed to be. And then, and then of course, of course, the Little Mermaid was just like a hugely, I mean, and I said unironically, it was like a hugely influential movie on it. So I, it was a there was a lot of like like very specific like visual and and narrative references in the movie that were not not a thing that i normally would like you know turn my nose up at it was, there was there were some interesting choices made for sure yeah it makes it fun to talk about i'm not sure that they necessarily nailed the homage in
0: certain cases it reminding you of romancing the stone is a good thing i think but i don't think it's a very good romancing the stone imitation so you know it'll it's it's interesting movie to break down you know this is directed by james wan who of course you know was best known for making some horror films in the earlier part of this century and then of course he most recently made a fast and the furious movie i saw him recently described as somebody with bad taste but high ambition, and I I kind of liked that. Um, I think you can make a movie that has bad taste and still have it be really entertaining. One might argue that the Fast and the Furious franchise is kind of defined by that. So this is kind of an interesting approach to a comic book movie, which I don't think we've ever necessarily seen before. It's kind of like purposeful schlock, and what that results in is lots and lots of bad dialogue, but also a couple of set pieces that are kind of like psychedelic and fascinating. Um mm-hmm. what do you think? Well, answer me this. Were you an
1: Aquaman person before this movie? No. <laughs> no. I mean I'm not. I'm a big comic book guy. But I've always been more of a Marvel guy than a DC guy. And certainly in the movie realm, I mean I I was despite the like very significant role that Batman films I mean the Nolan one, but the first Nolan film or the second Nolan film, I guess, but more so. But the, the the transitional power of the Nolan films and also the Tim Burton movies. I mean, those are so important for the way that we watch superheroes in the big screen. So I, I give that give them all due credit. But I've always loved just the sort of ethos of the Marvel universe more than DC so far. Yeah, I feel like this movie is competing in some ways with
0: two different things. And it's funny that you mentioned Avatar because, one, I think it's probably kind of the Vinny Chase entourage joke of what an Aquaman movie is. And, of Mm -hmm. course, James Cameron directed that movie inside the Entourage universe. And then the other one is kind of the classical Aquaman vision. I'm not a DC person either, but I think the version of him that we know, the Arthur that we know— is yeah. blonde and uh, chiseled. And he looks a lot more like Patrick Wilson's character in this movie than he does like Jason Momoa. Casting someone like Jason Momoa, I think was interesting. You know, they they really turned a character that had a kind of like regal haughtiness into a, mm, into the rock basically, right? I mean, yeah.
1: that, that's more or less the role that he's playing here. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest problem with the DC movies is with the exception, I mean, setting aside just the, the, trudging darkness uh of most of the films. Is they've actually been too hidebound to to continuity to to legacy to everything else. And I think throwing in kind of casting Jason Momoa in a I don't know if he was just like, you know, best player available or or what the what the how the decision was made, but but having an unlikely Aquaman in the lead role really, I think, is what set this movie on a path to being way better than it could have been. Yeah, I agree. You know, just having having to having to work with a little bit of uh, having to explore sort of new territory i'm I'm a little loath to try to describe the plot of this movie <laughs> um,
0: yeah i don't know how much of that we really need to do assuming if you're listening to this you've already seen the film so you understand some of it um i don't think you necessarily come to a movie like this for the plot though it is really colliding like i said kind of mythology the story of atlantis where you know arthur is sort of the half-breed son heir to the throne of atlantis with mm-hmm. this story of a kid who basically grew up on his own, figuring out how to use his superpowers and control the ocean. Um, yeah, there's an enormous amount of very famous people in here, kind of doing <laughs> weird shit. N- notably, Nicole Kidman. I'm I'm a staggered by the stuff that they got Nicole Kidman to say in this movie. Yeah, uh, uh,
1: kind of right from the jump. What did you think about Kidman? She was Nicole Kidman. You know, I mean, it, it's it felt like she was. I, I won't. I don't think she was distracting. Although. I, w- I would have been, I think, distracted about her by how little she was used in the movie mm-hmm. or how, I mean, she wasn't insignificant in any way, but you get Nicole Kidman, you'd think you'd get a little bit more out of her. But at the same time, I think when you're d- discussing plot more broadly, my biggest problem with the movie was that th- there was a lot of stuff going on, a lot of really interesting pieces of the story, but the the narrative structure was just so straightforward mm-hmm. that and it was a long movie. You knew exactly what was going to happen. And you kind of knew every beat that was going to be hit from about thirty, the 30-minute 30 mark. And so it felt even longer because you knew everywhere you were going to have to go.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's something that actually set like separates DC from Marvel at this point, which is that Marvel is trying to figure out new ways to bust up the origin story as they tell their yeah. stories. And they're getting better at it. We'll see what they do with Captain Marvel. You know, yeah. Micah Peters and I talked about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse recently, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that movie is
1: is literally busting up the idea of the origin yeah. story. And this is a really, really straightforward version of that, right? I'm not the only person to ever make this argument, but I've made it before. You have to, when you're doing a superhero movie, if you're going to tell the origin story, like, the villain has to be part of the origin story. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you get one of these bloated Batman movies with, like, 18 villains and it just you don't understand what's happening and none of it really feels like it matters and they did that in this one i mean they did tie the or i mean the 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 very lengthy origin plot of the movie was tied into the main action but there was a you know there was another villain that didn't that, that wasn't you know so intrinsically tied up in it but uh but they it was still very it was a lot it was a lot of backstory it's it's sort of pat these days they'd be like this would have been better as a tv show mm-hmm. but uh but i would have certainly rather I mean all of the different movie narr- i mean movie parallels that I mentioned I would have rather almost seen as a standalone 30 minute segment that I could have just relished in uh as opposed to just sort of like this litany of of cut scenes while I was like counting down minutes you know Yeah
0: you know we just saw all of these Marvel Netflix shows essentially get canceled and I think one of the reasons that those shows were sometimes effective but mostly not effective was because they were too long so Jessica yeah. Jones I thought was a really smart and inventive approach to telling a superhero story. But every season being eight or ten episodes, I just felt like it was way too much, and it was a four-episode show. Similarly, I feel like we haven't really cracked the code on, like, the, the superhero miniseries, and stories like this are much more, like, miniseries than they are, like, TV shows to me. Um Yeah. And it's notable that you pointed out um Game of Thrones. I think this does... Especially with the kind of idea of like succession and power and the quest for those things and those kind of haughty ideas. Those are probably the the haughtiest ideas that this movie has. And those things could be done
1: more effectively the way The Thrones does, which is kind of in micro. You know, and with and with the, the the I mean, the one thing that Game of Thrones really has is this is the 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 question looming over everything, right? I mean it's the the whether or not this that story is going to end happily. And that was never in question in Aquaman. Yeah, the minute Amber Heard shows up to you, you're like, well, they're going to end up together. You know, there's there is really no
0: mystery to, to, to any of the setup that they're making. Do you think that given some of the anxiety around the DC stuff in the last few years, that this movie is going to be helpful or hurtful to
1: the narrative that they're building? Um, I think helpful. I think that the burden that it carries is part of the, you know, the DC universe... Um, Affects the way that we watch it, but I don't. I think that in a lot of ways, this was maybe not as interesting as Wonder Woman was um, on its face, but it had a lot more interesting pieces to it. I mean, it, for all for everything we've said so far, it has to be said this is the most beautiful DC Comics movie and maybe the most beautiful superhero movie that's ever been made. I mean, just the, the amount of CGI that was just seamless. I mean, pretty. I mean, I think seamless is the only word for it. Um, and the amount of just kind of CGI concepts that came and went and without it being ever without it feeling like you were, you know, it, 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 it there weren't a lot of those avatar moments where it felt like it was insisting upon itself sort of, but yeah. it was all so beautiful. Um, there was a lot of really transformative stuff in here and listen, and, and it was brightly lit, which was a big, uh, for the most part, uh, and especially for an undersea movie, which was a departure for DC. Although. There were many times where I was just like, "This would be better." I mean, this is James Wan; this would be better off as a horror movie, you know. But visually, um, I think it was a huge step in the right direction for DC, and and uh, you know, I don't want to I don't want to undersell that. I agree with you. The,
0: what it reminded me of, the kind of big set pieces, which I think are the best parts, and I think that it actually has a good battle at the end that kind of lives up to mm-hmm. its billing, um, was Lord of the Rings, which was I yeah. thought a very effective you know, fusion of tons of digital and CGI stuff that you can tell is CGI, but doesn't bother you because it's sort of breathtaking at times. There are a couple of shots, especially the shot when they go into, what is that called? The trench, you know, when they're they're sort of yeah on a quest to go find uh, the trident when they're being chased by this series of monsters and he's holding um, this flare and and racing through the ocean, holding a flare and being chased by hundreds of thousands of monsters. It's like, It is probably the most beautiful single shot I've seen in a comic book movie. And the movie really has that going for it. On the other hand, though, there are so many scenes where two people are just talking to each other. And I'm like, wow, this was this was written by a 14 year old. You know, like it's really just not even it doesn't even have the zing of a a mediocre comic book. And that held it back for me a little bit. You know what I mean? Despite the the sort of visual ambition.
1: Well, you mentioned the Rock earlier, Jason Momoa. I mean, they left a lot of they left a lot of the heavy lifting up to Jason Momoa to get to like smirk his way through these scenes, definitely. And he succeeded, I think, to a su- surprising degree. Um, but it was too big of a lift for the Rock or anyone else. You know, I mean, it was it was a it, there there was not a lot there was not a lot to work with. I mean, and you mentioned Amber Heard. I I halfway through the movie convinced myself that she was gonna be a double agent or she was gonna do something because it was so straightforward, you know, because it was so, um, elementary and that obviously didn't turn out to be true, but I think that's just like, that goes to show what you're exactly what you're saying. It was, there was uh, a simplicity that was a little bit grating at times. Yeah. When the movie first started, I thought that
0: we were going to get the thing that Marvel has done recently, which is they try to kind of Trojan horse an old style version of a movie where they say, Oh, winter soldier is like three days of the condor and like a seventies paranoia thriller. I thought it was going to be Basically, just a really good Steven Seagal movie. It kind of starts like under siege, and yeah. you know when you have that scene where we are introduced to Black Manta and the you know who is this pirate who's trying to take over submarines, I guess. But and, and what you have is Momoa dropping one liners, punching people really hard, being the <laughs> toughest guy in the room, and it had it was it was like Schwarzenegger meets Bruce Willis, like th- that was what I thought he was going for, and kind of nailing, even though I think movies like that are kind of passe at this point. But I would have enjoyed, weirdly, like a Steven Seagal DC movie. And, yeah. and then it like very quickly morphs again and morphs again and morphs again. Do you think people are going to be open-minded about the fact that it's trying to be all, the, all of these movies
1: at once? I don't know that it's pure negative. You know, our boss Bill Simmons always talks about Judging movies based on whether or not you like stop flipping the channels when you're when they Mm -hmm. pop up on your TV screen. I don't know if anybody under the age of 30 flips through channels and stops on movies anymore, but this felt like a really good movie. I mean, a movie that I would definitely stop on over and over again because there are so many moments that are watching, and visually, as cool as it was on the screen, I bet it's going to look just ridiculously good on everybody's big like 4K home TV. Mm -hmm. Um, and it had a little bit of... I mean, it, for me, that's how... that That's my favorite part of Avatar, is seeing it in chunks at home, more so than I loved it in the theater. Again, despite it being this, you know, IMAX spectacular production. And a little bit of... This is a really weird comparison, but, it's, but I have that same thing with Gangs of New York, where it's like, it was a letdown in the theater, because it just kind of felt like a lot, like a bloated sort of meandering thing compared mm-hmm. to the rest of Scorsese's oeuvre. But whenever I see that on TV, I stop. It's like, it's a perfect TV movie. And I, and I, and I hope that Aquaman will sort of uh, fall, fit into that same category. It felt like that a little bit to me.
0: That's interesting.
1: I I still think I'll probably get hung up on some of the
0: dialogue scenes. I thought in particular, and I, I'd like to spend some time talking about Patrick Wilson. Um, But there's a moment when Patrick Wilson's plan starts to come together, when he enlists Dolph Lundgren and the, I guess, (laughs) army that he, of one of the many kingdoms under the sea that he runs and owns. And, Um, he makes this very bold proclamation about becoming the Ocean Master, which apparently is a title
1: (laughs) once he is named Ocean Master it'll be too late, the power at his disposal will be unlike anything you have ever seen I'm from the surface no one's going to take me seriously Okay, I don't even know where to begin by winning the hearts and minds of the people by proving to them that you're worthy and retrieving this yeah, that's one they could have reworked post, post out of the, from the comic books. I think it's like it, it is very like stentorian. Like, and then I shall be the ocean master. And well, to have to have Longgren sitting right there. Which, by the way, do you think? Do you, what do you think Dolph Longgren? What do you, what do you think the nicest thing he's bought himself in the past year is? Because I don't know. he's like he, he went from nothing to a whole lot again all of a sudden. Do you think he's like got a fleet of cars that he can't afford? I'm now super or happy for him. Probably a boat, just in keeping with the Aquaman yeah, thing. <laughs> exactly. But but to have him standing right there, D- Dolph Lundgren, who played He Man, famously yes. or, not, or infamously on screen, and the, and this all the Ocean Master dialogue just made it feel really you know cartoons of my childhoodish. You yeah, know? I mean it was it was it, was, it didn't do, it didn't do any favors to have him there. No, it, I mean I think that that's kind of what I was talking about with the schlocky thing. You know,
0: you know, Masters of the Universe is like a very schlocky movie, and and Dolph, who even though he is you know for people who don't know, kind of a brilliant person who is basically a Mensa-level actor who studied, I think, um, nuclear physics? and then Yeah, I think to, that's right. And then became like a Swedish model and actor because he was dating Grace Jones. You know, he's obviously this icon of a certain kind of movie. And so it's funny to see him in Creed 2. and now this. And you know, he's like, he's good. He's Dolph Lundgren. He's kind of doing Dolph Lundgren things, looking very uh, lantern-jawed. Um, Patrick Wilson, to me, though... Is an interesting choice. He is a part of the James Wan repertory company. They're obviously collaborators, and Mm -hmm. they worked on the Insidious movies. And he plays Orm, who is Arthur, a.k.a. Aquaman's half-brother, and the man who is trying to claim the throne of Atlantis. And Orm is, I feel like, a villain we've seen before. You know, like a petulant, younger brat. He's kind of like... um. Richard from the Robin Hood movies, you know, like, yes. he doesn't really deserve the throne, has designs on power, you know, has a bad plan that the Robin Hood will eventually unearth. Um, Patrick Wilson is so beautiful and so um, sincere in a way that I felt like he was
1: a little out of place here. I don't, how did you feel about his performance? This is the, the I feel like didn't Bill get no conversation about Patrick Wilson's beauty on a recent he podcast? He did with Jason Reitman, I... yeah. I'm I'm weirdly like I love him. I'm not in on Patrick Wilson being. I, I, he's never struck me as like my platonic ideal of what a man, a leading man, should look like. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I loved. Him. I thought he was. Uh, you know, I thought he was great in Fargo and a million other things. But uh, but no, I thought I thought he was really good. I thought that that role had the potential to be the worst part of the movie. Yes, that's true. Um, that's true. I mean, they could have. He could have just vamped, and it would have been. I mean, it also could have been great in a different way if he just really vamped it up in a. You know, and just ha- and made it just kind of hilarious. But, um, but I thought I, I I thought it was I thought it was good. I mean, again, he had he didn't have a lot to work with, but you know, it wasn't. I mean. It, you know, any put, putting Patrick Wilson and Willem Dafoe in the same room talking to each other. I mean, I'm I'm good with that, no matter what they're doing. You know, and Duff Lundgren, too is was a nice little like you know counterweight. Although he was he again was always always seemed to be there to sort of underscore the kind of lame mythology. You mentioned um, under the Tuscan Sun, which is fucking hilarious. Uh,
0: there <laughs> is a moment in this movie when uh, Amber Heard's character Mara and Arthur go on a kind of excursion on a quest to find clues to find this mysterious trident, which will then allow Aquaman to battle his brother Orm. Um, Yeah. Which sounds ridiculous to say out loud, but here we are saying it. Uh, The movie is just, it's a full-blown detour into the Sahara and then ultimately Sicily. Um, Yeah. That was the one part, and you mentioned this when we were discussing it before we started recording, when you went to the bathroom, and that is also exactly when I went to the bathroom. And Uh I I was thinking about this and wondering if... At this point, filmmakers who make these kind of big top pole entertainments are actually making a bathroom scene for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, do, you th- uh, do you think that was by design? In the, pro wrestling, in the pro wrestling world, that's called the popcorn match. Right, where right, about right. Two thirds of the way through the show, they put, on, you, they put on a match that you know doesn't matter so you can go get your popcorn and go to the bathroom. Right, right, right. I mean, it um, feels
0: like because these movies are all two and a half hours now.
1: And yeah, I mean, it's it's. I I think it I think it must be because it always it hits at exactly the same point and and where you've just kind of been sitting there for like five minutes thinking like, am I gonna make it through? Should I just go to the bathroom just so I can enjoy this and make sure I'm there for the post credit scene? Um, and and then yeah, and then like the they land in in Italy or whatever, and and you you're just like, oh yeah, this is the moment. This is exactly when I walk. That whole thing was very bizarre. And Amber Heard put it taking Amber Heard, you know, I mean, she wasn't under, she was out of the water for a good portion of the film, but it didn't do that character any favors. I, this is this this is a bit I know, but like, it's amazing to me how um how great the CGI was in this movie, how they like literally made it felt more like I was underwater than you know an IMAX documentary that really takes you underwater. It was so well done, and yet they can't make Amber Heard's hair a color <laughs> that. It, that looks even remote, like you can see the hair dye on her forehead. I mean, it was kind of, it was, (laughs) uh, and maybe it was just, just to reference a little mermaid again. I mean, it felt like a real choice, Um, but it was, but putting her out in the sunlight just made it, made her look like less like a sea creature and more like a, you know, like an angsty teen or something.
0: I think you're right. I think when you were describing this movie as very brightly lit that's a good thing when they're underwater and it's a bad thing when they're on their surface. When they're on the surface, it ad- actually looks more fake. You know, I found yeah. that um, all of the scenes that take place at Arthur's kind of father's home and dock felt like a set. They felt like, or that dock mm-hmm. just seemed like a CGI ocean as opposed to going underwater. And there is this extraordinary battle sequence, which we'll talk about, that features like thousands of creatures. And I was like, yeah, I buy it. this is happening. It's yeah. just such a strange contrast in the in the style of the filmmaking.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's hard to get past the feeling that there were just a lot of very different pieces of this movie that were cut together too quickly. Or, I mean, if the, if this movie had just been, if you had somehow gotten past the first 45 minutes, if it had just been, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark in search of this trident for the purpose of reclaiming his throne, it could have been a really, a really tight movie with most of the good stuff still in there. I mean, but when they went on this, when they went on the search that we're talking about, it was almost people were kind of chuckling, like it was just such a shift and such a inexplicable change in the in the movie that it just felt like it it was like a gag without without a punchline.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, like I said, it's a three eyed fish. It's a very complicated movie. Let's talk a little bit about that battle more. Um, obviously, things come to a head. Arthur returns to Atlantis to have a showdown with Orm. The way that he does so is by controlling. A giant creature that he has essentially lifted out of the trench by power by his aquatic powers. Yeah. Do you know who voiced this creature? Oh, no. I have no idea. You're, this is going to blow your mind. You ready? Yeah. Julie Andrews.
1: <laughs> That's a true story. Julie Andrews. Why? I have no idea. Did she? I don't even remember the beast speaking. The but Carathen I guess Carathon it, or whatever green, the Carathon, whatever it's called. You, I just assumed it was a Kraken. But yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, Julie Andrews in the month of Mary Poppins returns is where we have Julie Andrews back. Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews is she? She's at Julie Andrews and Dolph Lungren are out there on that yacht together spending their new cash. <laughs> um, oh wow, they're back. Um, yeah, but uh, no, that that creature was great. I that was actually I thought and I thought this in the moment a triumph of of the good kind of superhero movie making and that we didn't need we didn't have to have a scene where aquaman was like thinking to himself underwater or having a shouty conversation with amber heard about like oh maybe there's a monster i can you know, you know i can control all the sea creatures maybe there's one deeper down that can really turn the tide of this battle no you just it just happened and we all understood what was going on um and it, perhaps uh, I don't give him enough credit or I give him too much credit to think that that, that they, you know, that they had to make that, that that was a choice that they made, but I thought it was well done. There may be a scene where he's explaining out loud what the plan is. You know,
0: a lot of these movies have that extraordinary exposition. It's hard to know. Sure.
1: It's hard to know what the first
0: cut of this movie is. I'm sure there's like a four and a half hour version. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I did think that they kind of effectively put the capstone on it with that that battle. Um, did you have any awareness of kind of the deeper mythology of, the Atlantis in the Aquaman comics, and also does it correspond at all with the broader Atlantis mythology?
1: Uh, I I do not know. I uh, I opened up Atlantis Wikipedia page on my phone <laughs> on the way out of the theater, and then <laughs> promptly forgot to read it up to read up on it. Um, but the 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 Atlantis mythology that as as constructed in the film was again just a throwaway like flashback. But was but what was that was one of the most interesting parts of the movie. I mean, that was a thing that I would like to see more of. But even that was like, you know, it was like half really smart and half like hand wavy, you know? I mean, they got, it was like the super advanced, it was like ancient Rome with like Robotech. Yes. And then somehow they got swept underwater, which all, all of this is, I'm actually fine with. And then they were just like, and because of our technology, we evolved, you know? And then it was like, wait, you grew, (laughs) because you have robots, you have, you got gills. Like, I don't understand. Um, (laughs) But anyway, it was it was very I mean, that's the sort of ridiculousness that I'm fine with in these movies. You know, there's going to be as long like as long as you don't spend time on the dumb stuff, then it's fine to be dumb.
0: Yeah, in in the
1: year of Black Panther, I actually weirdly saw a lot in common with Black Panther in this movie. I think that's exactly right. I think it was Black Panther and there was, you know, some elements of Guardians too just yes. in terms of like really huge world building but but um but yeah there was a lot of black panther. Yeah, that whole idea of like this technology solved our
0: society and also made us isolationist is uh-huh. kind of an interesting idea. I don't think that Aquaman necessarily aspires to the same levels of kind of intellectual depth that Black Panther is shooting for but it's almost like the same story in reverse. It's like if Orm were Chadwick Boseman's character and he was the villain in some ways and and Aquaman is is killmonger and he's coming in to kind of claim the throne. Like, there is something... I, there's a weird, a weird mirror image between these two movies, even though I don't think that they're going to be received in quite the same way.
1: Would you agree with that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's hard. I mentioned the, you know, Burton Batman and and the Nolan Batman earlier. It's what, like a th- One of the thought games I like to play with all of these is just like how they would have been received if they had come out, how this movie would have been received if it come out when, when Iron Man 1 did, you know, and, and yeah. none of this modern superhero movement had happened yet. I think that despite being, you know, too long and, and too you know bloated in, in various ways, the Aquaman would have been an absolute revelation if it had come out then. Um, and not just because the CGI would have been like, you know, earth-shattering, but just because it it does have a take, it, it you know it absorbs too many movies in, into itself. But it but just the sort of like irreverence and ambition, uh, I think would have would have been you know really impressive at that point. In July of two thousand
0: and nine, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio began developing Aquaman for his production company. And I'm trying to imagine a world in which Leo takes up the mantle of Aquaman. Is that (laughs) he was going to play the part or that he was was developing it. It's impossible to know if he would have considered the part. I think young Leo looks a lot like what Arthur looked like in the comic books in the kind of Justice League of the 90s and the 80s. Is there any part of you that
1: wishes it was a sort of a more polished version of that character? No, I mean, I don't think I don't I think it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do Aquaman straight. Uh, And so they, you know, they 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 made a choice here and they they found a way to make it more palatable. You know, I mean, if I, when I, when, when you say Leonardo DiCaprio is Aquaman, I'm, yeah, I know you're thinking like the, the blue eyed, blonde haired, like, you know, co- you know, bright, like, you know, green and yellow outfit, you know, superhero. I, my mind immediately goes to the Revenant, cause I think that there's like mm. a really interesting Leo role as like, you know, is with just built into the mythology and just, you know, the broken down life of like a aquatic nomad. But, but yeah, I man, I mean, it could have been, yeah, it, it could have been a lot different. The, the the weird thing would just be that he was, that the most famous, one of the most famous actors in the world is like the fifth most important DC <laughs> member, of the, member of the Justice League. You know, I mean, that would have been hard to balance. Yeah. You know, that is a good segue to something I kind of wanted to talk to
0: you about, which is what DC movies are in the future now. Uh, as mm-hmm. I mentioned, this movie just was not really connected to any DC movies. Am I... Am I overstating that like there's no mention the mo- of-, of,
1: all, of all of the silly dialogue in it the most the, like maybe the most awkward line uh in the whole movie was when amber heard was just like but you helped batman and superman that time to sit sa- <laughs> to, to save the world that's and right he was just like and he was like nah that was just a one-off you know whatever like he wasn't that it would have been so much better if they just pretended justice league had never existed um or if they had placed this in the past or something like that but um but yeah that that it was aside from that there was basically no reference to anything outside. You're right. I had forgotten about that line,
0: which is the terrible line of dialogue. Uh, okay, so here here's what's coming from DC. And I think what's notable about Aquaman is, as you said, he's the fifth most important, maybe at best, member of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. And the movies that are coming, that are literally on the schedule for Warner Brothers, one of the biggest studios in the world. In April, we're getting Shazam, which is kind of a fun character, though... Yeah. I'm not sure necessarily worthy of a movie before, say, like The Flash gets a movie. Uh-huh. Um, and that movie, the tone of that movie, I think actually is going to be even more jokey and even more teen and even more, it almost feels like a Netflix movie. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for that
1: yet. I have. It looks really good. I mean, really interesting. I I, I think that the, um, I mean, the other thing is that it takes you away from the Justice League verse. Yes. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it is a DC movie and certainly if it's successful, they'll all tie in together. But. Shazam, you know, Captain Marvel, whatever you want to call him, has this incredible tension with Superman as they're sort of like, you know, they're the same character from different companies that were absorbed together and uh, had to kind of stake out their own territory. So I'm, I'm interested in that movie for sure. I am too. It's made, it's going to be made by David
0: Sandberg who made Annabelle Creation and Lights Out. So he's a horror movie guy, just like James Wan. And this is kind of a fascinating choice to bring, to have Warner Brothers take their cadre of horror directors and make them superhero movie directors, uh, mm-hmm. that might work. But we'll see. It's not really something Marvel has tried before. The movie after that is fascinating to me. It's called Birds of Prey, and it right. stars and is being developed by Margot Robbie, and it's being directed by Kathy Yan, who has never made a full-length feature, I don't think. She's a Chinese-American uh, director who I think has only made a short Am I right about that? I guess de- I guess she has a film coming called Dead Pigs, but this feels like a pretty big risk. Um
1: can you explain what Birds of Prey is? Um not well. No. Uh but it's I mean t- it, I think you can put that in the same bucket as Suicide Squad as like it's an opportunity to lure in the highest profile stars with the lowest IP risk, I think. Mm, you know, this isn't if Mark if Margot Robbie makes this movie and then is just like, I'm retiring to a castle or I'm going to go do a Netflix show or something, then like they don't need to make more Birds of Prey. It's not like they need to lock her in the 10 picture deal, but it's the, it has the potential like, you know, Will Smith and Suicide Squad or whatever to really be um, more transformative. If I mean, for, for the for the overall franchise, if, if uh, I mean, for the overall expanded universe. Um, If it works really well and if everybody has fun doing it, you know, it's, it's interesting to see someone like Margot Robbie, like actively seeking out a superhero role. But, you know, DC has the DC, you know, we've talked about this before. Marvel got lucky that they didn't have the rights to any of their big characters when they started making these movies. And DC is kind of in doing this weird balancing act of, of, of being kind of honor bound to execute Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, you know, maybe Flash and, and Aquaman too. Although who knows if Aquaman would have even ever been made if it hadn't been for Jason Momoa, you know, and, and, and finding that, you know, finding the right, the right actor.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a,
1: a good way of framing this one too because I think Margot
0: Robbie was the best part of Suicide Squad. Harley Quinn was, re- that character worked in that movie and uh-huh. it's smart to kind of extend this out. I'll, 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 I'm just going to read the full title of the Birds of Prey movie. Do you know that this has a, a, a parenthetical inside the title? Uh, go ahead. Okay, it's Birds of Prey, parentheses, and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Wow. Close parentheses. That's that makes me want to see it more. Frankly, it does. Me too. Uh, that actually has a pretty cool cast. The movie has Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Journey Smollett Bell, Rosie Perez. Um, that should be an interesting thing, and I like what, how you describe that as kind of a low risk, uh, high tension possibility for IP. The one after that is makes no sense, and I, I don't know if this movie is in production or what, but it's Cyborg. Um, who is played by a not famous person and is a not famous character? And the idea of Cyborg coming before the Wonder Woman sequel, before a Green Lantern movie, before the Flash, before Matt Reeves' Batman, which are all the other movies that are kind of on the slate right now, I'm confounded by. Like, what is the is the audience for Cyborg? Like, are they going to try to make it like
1: RoboCop or something? <sighs> yeah, I mean, yes, I guess. I mean, it's it's, it's I mean that has to be a yeah, they got. They, it has to be movie first, right? Because it's not the comic book character, and like you said, it's not the actor. So it's got to be. It's it's got to be a really you know either a. I mean, I don't know if people even still go to the movies. If, is anyone going to go to see Aquaman because I told them that it's the most visually amazing thing I've ever seen? Like, I don't know. This it's not. We're past Avatar, right? We're past Terminator Two. It's, it's, I don't know if people go for that reason because you have the expectation of quality for all these movies, at least visual quality, right? But yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I know they've moved these around some. I don't know if the, I don't I don't know if the but the the release dates for all of the Justice League movies are have been kind of confusing to me. But um, you know who knows? Uh, there's I know there's a lot of people out there who are a lot of the diehard fanboys. Um, actually, not diehard fanboys, but the fans of the Teen Titans cartoon show are mad that Cyborg has been ripped away and the upcoming Netflix show does not include him. Um, oh, interesting. So even though they sort of exist in different universes cyborg is uh, has been is fully Justice League when played by an actual human being and not part of Teen Titans.
0: You know, I want some uh, justice from Martian Manhunter. I feel like he's really been pushed to the side here in the Justice League <laughs> universe. He was always a personal favorite.
1: He's such a weird character.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the end credit sequence because usually those sequences are used to push the story forward, you know at the end of the last I believe it's the last superhero versus Batman or Superman versus Batman movie. We get inter- introduced to Deathstroke and then that kind of pushes the story forward even though who the hell knows if that'll ever be resolved in any meaningful way. Oh yeah. The end of this movie, the post-credit sequence, it basically just shows us Black Manta again and a scientist character played by Randall Park who is apparently canon in the Aquaman story and that just seemed like a setup for Aquaman 2. And I found that to be fascinating because if they really need us to get excited about Cyborg or Green Lantern Corps or Birds of Prey, you might have dropped a little Easter egg into that moment, and they just didn't do that. Did that? Did
1: that strike you as odd? It struck me as really odd. Yeah, I mean, to be teasing a movie that is certainly not even in production—that's mm-hmm. not really the purpose of those, right? I mean, it was almost like it was almost like when like Back to the Future One ended with "To Be Continued," and then we waited fifteen years or whatever for the <laughs> sequel to come out. Yeah. Um, like that's not a real that that was like a gag that wasn't a tea, that wasn't a real tease. It's weird. It's it's surprising that like like you said they didn't have Cyborg or Flash or Wonder Woman or someone just pop up to do a thing. And also, if you're gonna do a post credit scene that doesn't really matter, like I think you should just go. You should just mess with people. Like, how great would it be if it was like <laughs> if if it like the post credit scene was like DiCaprio was Batman, you know? And it was just like we're just gonna give him five hundred thousand dollars to film for like fifteen seconds just to just to like see, get people talking. That would have been a lot better,
0: <laughs> David. How do we how do we go forward here? Ultimately, you felt like this was a, a good
1: movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was good. I mean, it, it was. Um, was it good enough to make you care about the future of Aquaman? Yeah, I think that it was. I don't know if it was good enough, but it was enough. You know, it was. It was definitely. It had the. Uh, I liked. I liked Momoa's performance. I liked this sort of iteration of the character. The hopeful view is that. Now that we've gotten all this backstory out of the way, you could actually just have a fun adventure movie uh, for for the next one. Yeah, I guess the question is: is like, can Aquaman be a Thor or a Captain America?
0: Where you're like, actually, I'm really interested in that movie.
1: Yeah, I think he absolutely can. I mean, it's a Thor and Captain America weren't. Could, would, I wouldn't have thought they could be Thor. I mean, I didn't think Thor could be Thor. Like two movies into the, to his, you know, after two Thor solo movies. I totally agree. And this is, I um, think, Aquaman is definitely better than the first Thor movie. Oh, for sure. For whatever, you know, for a, I'm sure a lot of reasons, made the decision to get through a whole lot of material in this movie. And, and maybe, maybe that'll open it up for, you know, for more in the future. I, you know, it's, it's, um, like I said before, I think that my biggest, I mean, my biggest hang up with the movie is that there was so much material and the storytelling was kind of so straightforward that you, it dragged, you know, like you knew exactly where everything was going to go. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was like if you gave, you have all of these amazing pieces, but it's but the story's being told in just two. I don't know if it's for the kids' audience or what, but but they it was it was a very simplistic, you know, means of telling the story. But there was a lot of good stuff in there. I agree. There's been a lot of good stuff in here, David. Thank you for
0: chatting about Aquaman and the extended DC universe. <laughs> we'll see you on the
1: Ringer.com. Thanks, man. This has been a blast. thanks again
0: to david shoemaker and thank you for listening to this week's episode of the big picture though it is the holidays we shall return next week on thursday with a special oscar show with amanda dobbins we'll be talking about vice among other things so please tune in then and happy holidays